You're listening to the Northeast Roundtable Podcast, your weekly podcast about theology and the Christian life. Man, we were both like bobbing. I know. Corlin, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing good. It's been a good, we just, we before we hit record, it's been two and a half weeks since we've recorded. I know. And it's been a while. I feel like I haven't seen you eight, in forever. Our eight fans are going to be very <laughs> upset. <laughs> it's true. We're sorry. Oh, we're so sorry. But if you are new to the podcast, thanks for tuning in. Um, I should say, it, I shared this story with you, but I'm not going to use names because okay. it will embarrass someone. Fair enough. But I was I was grocery shopping at uh, a grocery oh. store <laughs> and uh, yes. saw someone that I was like, I'm pretty sure you go to our church. But you know, when you have 500 people on a Sunday morning, you don't recognize everybody. Yep. Right. So yep. I'm like, I'm going to go over and say something. I'm pretty sure. And it was one of those, like we made eye contact and you know, when you've made eye contact with someone that you're pretty sure, you know, you're just kind of like, Oh yeah. 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 So I just yep. went over. I'm like, Hey, uh, do you go to the MB church? And, sh- and they were like, uh, yeah. And then they started laughing and they like pulled their phone out. Like maniacally or like? No, just oh, like, okay. oh man, oh, this is weird. And they pulled out their phone and they're like listening to, to the you. podcast. Oh, to the podcast. Oh, I thought you said a sermon the first time you talked oh, about it. Oh, maybe it was. Or maybe it was the theology class. Maybe that. But anyways. They were listening to you. Yeah, but it was just kind of like your voice is in my head right now. And then you're like, it was just funny. So I'm like, oh, people actually listen to stuff that yeah. we do. Hey, that's, there we go. That's encouraging. So um, yes, thanks for tuning in. Uh, episode 93 of the podcast. We got to do something for the 100th. I know. So. I, I think we should release like mugs or hoodies or like throw a block party or something. I don't know. <laughs> throw a block for us. Come <laughs> yeah. celebrate us. Yeah. So uh, today is going to be similar to an off the record, but they're all questions that have come in. So yeah. we uh, we have three questions and then at the end, whatever else. It's like a hybrid episode. Come. Questions have been sent in, but it's just Andrew and I, and we didn't take tons of time to prep, or at least I didn't because you said it was an off the record. So yeah. we'll see where it goes. So we'll just kind of go one at a time going through these questions um, and we'll see what happens. So yeah, we got a question sent in. Um, Let's tackle the, the scripture one first. Okay. I like that. So uh, it says this, please explain Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15. These verses seem to say that our being forgiven is based on us forgiving others. Wouldn't that be works? Like they're talking about like earning your salvation. Yeah. Does it have to do with this section of scripture being before the cross? So Jesus hasn't wiped away the handwriting of requirements, etc.? Um, they said, someone has said to me that some of the things Jesus said don't apply to us because he said them before the cross. So he was speaking of Old Testament concepts. In this case, Jesus hasn't yet paid for our sins. So God forgiving us is based on us forgiving others. So let's read. First uh, of all, thank you for sending in a question. That's a good question. That's a super good we, question. We love it when people are able to, to you know, put into words the questions yep. that they're wrestling with. It's awesome. Uh, there is no silly questions when it comes to stuff like this. It's yeah. good to actually flesh out stuff like this. So Matthew 6, if uh, this is during the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, Jesus is actually teaching about prayer. Uh, and he talks, I'm not going to read all of it, but he says, you know, don't be like the hypocrites. They just offer up all these empty phrases. Here's how you should pray. And then it's the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father in heaven, this is verse 9, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then it says this, verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, this isn't the only place. Matthew 18, if you remember um, the parable of the unforgiving servant, He's been forgiven like it's like an eight billion dollar debt in our day and age. Yeah. And yep. wiped out, you're forgiven, but then he won't forgive, you know, a twelve thousand dollar debt. Yep. And he says that servant's thrown in jail. And then Jesus ends by saying, So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So again, similar, like yeah. if you don't forgive someone, God's not gonna forgive you. Yeah. So what do we think? Where do we go with that? Is this us earning <clears throat> salvation? I think I think I do want to say that like on a first reading of Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, I can understand where somebody would come to 
a potential conclusion of a works-based uh, understanding of that verse. Because if you if you just read that verse, if you're not reading the rest of the the Sermon on the Mount with it, if you don't like take into context everything that Jesus taught, then yes, and it just those words that would be what it says. But in the context of everything else. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a scholar that once said, and this is why we always bring up context, a scholar that I enjoy listening to, Ben Witherington III, he, I, I brought him up on the podcast before, he says... That's uh, a fantastic name. I know, is ben it not? Ben Witherington III. <laughs> um, he's, he says that a text without context is just a pretext to say whatever you want it to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is a good example of that. If we take just this couple of verses you can make it say whatever you want it to yeah. right yeah. um but it's important to look elsewhere i'm glad that you read first he's talking you know he teaches about the lord's prayer and then he goes into this and then you gave other examples as well yeah. um as for the old te- if jesus is just teaching about old testament things before the cross i think we should tackle that maybe first like that line of thought because if we're going to explain Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're going to look at it through that lens, then then we need to understand what that lens does for the sure. rest of Jesus's teaching as a whole before we would even look at something through that lens. Yeah, so that's good. I have an answer for what this means, but you're right. Let's talk about what it doesn't mean, <laughs> <laughs> which is what this person says. Someone told me that like some stuff that Jesus says doesn't apply to us because he taught. So if you think about, yeah, Jesus taught, and did ministry for three-ish years, three and a half years before he goes to the cross. And then his the, the, his death and resurrection is what purchases our salvation. Uh, and so this person is thinking, well, maybe some of the stuff that Jesus taught before the cross, like maybe it doesn't just, it doesn't apply to us. Like, yeah. So that is a super slippery slope. Well, one, I think it's not true. If we can just flat out say like, yeah. It's you can't say that the things Jesus taught don't apply to us because they happened before the cross, because then you would have to go, okay, so which teachings do we pick? So then Jesus teaching on lust doesn't apply to us or divorce or, um, yeah, just pick and choose. You can just go through, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and which ones do you pick that apply and which don't? How, what's yeah. the standard, right? So yeah. it's really it's really slippery to say like, oh well, Jesus didn't die yet, so that kind of teaching doesn't apply to us. Yeah, I think it's really slippery because then it's then you can just make excuses for stuff yeah. if you're not too, care- I, too careful. The first question that I would come to with that to that person is like, okay, so what is your, what is your metric for determining which ones are the ones that are important for us now and which were old Testament? If you're going to say that before the cross, like some of those, well, which, which are those Mm -hmm. some, and then to go from there, if you're talking to that individual, um, I, if I had to guess, my guess would be that like within the sermon on the Mount, he often says at the beginning of each point, you have heard that it's said, and then he quotes old Testament law, uh, or, or at least, Old Testament scripture that would be very, very familiar to these people. And so what Jesus is doing here is raising the bar off of the Old Testament. He's not disqualifying the law. He's not Mm. saying that it's bad. uh, And he's not saying that this only applies to the Old Testament people. What he's doing is he's, he's fleshing out the purpose of the law in essence, right? Like he's showing that um, like what Paul talks about in Romans chapter seven, where the law is sin abounds all the more, right? So if you have a law that says, do not commit adultery. And Jesus tells you that if you look at a woman with lust, then you've committed adultery in your heart. Like he, he raises that bar tenfold mm-hmm. then and the law exposes that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's important to recognize that. Yeah, he is quoting old Testament law, but I don't think that that makes it so that it's not applicable to us. Jesus is teaching his followers, the people that yeah. want to know him, totally. how to know him and how to live that out. Yeah. So when you approach something like Matthew six or Matthew <coughs> 18, where it says like, if you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you. You have to kind of, uh, I like that you said you're reading in the context of the passage, but then you also have to go, okay, what, what does the rest of the Bible say about this? Right? So Ephesians two makes it really, really clear. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. Yeah. Amen. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you go, okay, well, the rest of the New Testament, like the idea of we're saved by uh, grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone, our works do not save us. You have to ha- hold that intention going, okay, that can't be what Jesus means then. It yeah. can't be that Jesus says, oh, by the way, you are saved by what you do. And then the rest of the New Testament writers go, no, you're not. You go, okay, it can't. It can't mean that. Yeah, it wouldn't contradict like that. No. So then you have to kind of wrestle with, okay, what does Jesus mean then when he says this? Um, I think the the parable in Matthew 18 really helps. So, because it kind of ends the same way. Like, God's going to do the same thing to you if you don't forgive your, your, your brother uh, from your heart. So the parable in Matthew 18 is, it's meant to be, okay, God's the king. We have been forgiven an unbelievably massive amount of debt of sin. Like the example is eight billion dollars in our in our currency. In our currency, right? What is it? A thousand? Uh, I can't remember. What's the? Uh, um, can't flip fast enough. Ten thousand talents. Ten thousand talents. If you do the math, would be about eight billion dollars in our day and age with inflation. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole point is, okay, this servant comes in. There's no way for this person to pay back the king. Like, it's impossible. Even if you yeah. worked every day for you will never pay back $8 billion. And the king goes, I'm going to erase your debt. Yeah. And that's a picture of the gospel of us coming before God, and we owe God a debt that we can't pay back. And because of the cross, God goes, your debt's been paid. It's wiped out. Yeah. Then the, the, the second act of the parable is that same servant who's just been forgiven goes out <laughs> see someone and the whole the picture is that someone has sinned against you yeah and it's like this much compared to and andrew said this much he's (laughs) holding his fingers incredibly close together (laughs) it's 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 uh 12 grand in our day and age compared to 8 billion yeah like if you had just been forgiven 8 billion dollars and you met someone that was like oh yeah that guy owes me 12 grand you would think out of the joy that you've you've experienced you would go, you know what? I can, you have till next month. Man, I can, yeah. I can, <laughs> but he chokes him out, puts him in debtor's prison, and yeah. says, you have to pay me back. And then the the whole story ends with the king getting word of this, and then he goes, you wicked servant. Like, I forgave you all of that, yeah. and you didn't forgive. And then he throws him, metaphorically, the picture is meant to be in hell. He goes to hell. And then God says, and then the par- Jesus says in the parable, God's going to do that to you if you don't forgive your brother. Yeah. So here's what I think Jesus is getting at in Matthew 6 and in Matthew 18, and you can jump in too. Um, I think what Jesus is saying is if the gospel truly, if you have truly believed the gospel, you will forgive others. If you don't forgive others, it's an evidence that you haven't actually believed the gospel. Hmm. So I don't think that diminishes, like, it's hard to forgive others. Yeah. But I think what Jesus is getting at is your ability to forgive people who sin against you is an evidence that you've been forgiven. Yeah. And that's why he can say just so black and white, if you don't forgive people, you're not forgiven. Yeah. And we go, what? But what he's saying is like, think about it. If, if, I, if I truly have experienced the gospel and that God has forgiven all of my sin, past, present, and future, and then Corlin slanders me, and I go, I will never forgive you, Corland. I think yeah. what the what Jesus is saying is, well, that's have you truly understood the gospel? Yeah. Like Corland's sin against me is so minuscule compared to my sin against holy God. Does that yeah. make sense? Yep. I don't know. Thoughts or Yeah, I think I think you are right with what you're saying here. Um I think if you're we do this all the time with scripture, and I think it's because we treat it um like a, a devotional grab bag where we mm. look for certain catchphrases from the Bible or we take a couple of verses and then we write like a, a nice cute little blog where someone can read it with their coffee and we just have two verses. Um, we, we do that so often that then when we're reading it, even if we read in big chunks, we often do that where we like take two verses and then we're like, wow, these two verses say this one thing. Right. Sometimes we can do that accurately, I think, through doing that. Um, but in the, even in the example here of 14 and 15, if you go up just to the Lord's Prayer, uh, what's the order in which our debts are forgiven? Yeah, totally. God forgives us as we forgive others, mm-hmm. right? 
It, mm-hmm. He orders it. Jesus orders it first as, you know, we are asking that God would forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven other people. Yeah. Um, or as we also, as in like, as we go out to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not an ordering of like, Hey God, look, I forgave someone. Please forgive me for my stuff. Uh, no. It's, it's okay. God, please forgive me. And then going out into the streets and forgiving the people that have wronged you. Yep. Totally. Um, I think something that's helped me on a practical scale, because I think we can like, we can give playground examples of, of, you know, someone slandering and stuff and being like, Oh, I'll never forgive them. But I think where this practically gets really hard is when sin is like on an earthly scale, incredibly heavy and, Mm -hmm. and affects us. So like when it comes to murders or rapes or like sexual immorality within families, like those types of things, it like, that's where practically the idea of, okay, God has forgiven me so I can forgive those people becomes really, really yeah. hard to yeah. wor- walk through and work through. Um, I think for me personally, one of the things that uh, struck me is how much scripture talks about how we are all children of wrath, how we all walk under the desires of our flesh mm-hmm. until Christ comes and has forgiven us. And when we mm-hmm. accept uh, Christ as our Lord and as our savior. And we, we live in that forgiveness. I think what it, I think what the gospel does then is, is graciously through the work of the Holy spirit and through understanding what Jesus has done for us more and more as we grow in age and understanding of who God is, we, we begin to recognize the weight of the debt that has been forgiven to us. And so then it becomes harder for, for us to actually look at other people and consider the debt that they owe us, so to speak, mm-hmm. as of the utmost significance. Right. And the reason I word it like that is to not say like, I, I think sometimes we talk about forgiveness and we get this idea that like, well, if I forgive them, that means it doesn't matter what they did. Right. And that's not true. Right. Um, the, the sins that people commit against us, regardless of what they are, they do matter. Um, but I think what it comes then to for me is, it, and in my understanding of scripture is like, I, in my own sinful nature, have made choices that are similar to the person that totally. has wronged me. Yep. Right. Maybe not to the same worldly extent, mm-hmm. but I mean, if, even if we look at the Sermon on the Mount, right, if, if you, you've heard it, don't commit adultery. But if you look at someone with lust, you've done that in your heart, yep. right? Like you've already committed that. If you hate someone, you've already murdered them. Like if you raise the bar to that, yep. then we are all guilty. It's a level playing field. Yep. And so it doesn't discount the wrongs that have been done to us. But I think what it does is it helps us to recognize like the, the terminology that I often use is like, oh yeah, they're human too. Mm. it's not that it writes the wrong. It's that it's like, okay, Christ has loved me. And so I can show them the love that does not mean uh, practically speaking. That doesn't mean that uh, you have to have the utmost trust for them and put yourself in the exact same position where that can happen again. Absolutely mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. I think that there's uh, plenty of room within scripture to forgive others and yet continue to make space for sin to not happen. Oh, totally. Yep. Um, yep. So yeah, I, I don't know. I, those are my thoughts on it. Yeah. I don't think that Jesus here is is telling us that our forgiveness is weighed upon our forgiveness of others because mm-hmm. in your own heart, like this is one of those check yourself before you wreck yourself moments. Have you actually forgiven the people, like actually forgiven the people that have wronged you? Yeah. And some of us might not have experienced the stuff that others have. Yeah. Um, and that's where those types of questions then get really complicated because if somebody, all they've done to you is smack you across the face, it might be easy to forgive. But then you talk about some of those heavier sins, the ones that cause like incredible trauma and, and yeah. literally reshape the way your brain thinks about the world. Yeah. Those get really hard to navigate then when you talk about just, Oh yeah, we'll just forgive them. Otherwise God won't forgive you. Right. Again, not saying we shouldn't forgive, but just trying to bring practical elements into what Jesus is talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's good that, um, I mean, scripture gives us, um, there should be evidences of (coughs) you believing the gospel, right? So even like the Ephesians two passage we read, yeah, you're, you're saved not by, by your works at all. This is God's gift. But then the very next verse is you're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we still do good works, but good works do not save us. Good works are an evidence that we have been saved. So I think that's really important. Like 
it's just good when I when I profess that I've been saved by Jesus and yet my life is marked by bitterness and unforgiveness it's fair to ask like have you actually been saved yeah no I'm not trying to downplay like yeah forgiveness is hard but if you spend your whole life and you're like yep I'm a Christian and yet I hate people Mm. And, and so even it's this idea I love that the Bible gives us like there should be some like evidences And for us as brothers and sisters to not, I've heard this lots that like, wow, we can never question anyone's salvation. And I'm like, okay, fair. We don't know what's going on in their heart. Yeah. But the Bible gives us a lot to go on to go, okay, if you don't see some like fruit in people's lives. Yeah. As a brother, it's important to go and say like, hey, like, have you believed the gospel? Yeah. Because you're claiming to be a Christian. And yet there's no real evidence in your life. Like, so it's that it's this fine line where it's like, no, we don't all of a sudden go, okay, now I got to strive and work to make sure I'm a Christian. And it's like, no, yeah, no. When the gospel like captures your affections, when Jesus uh, has saved you, even if they're small, you'll see it changes. You'll see evidences in your life where you go, okay, yeah, like. I'm able to forgive more freely now. Like I may, maybe it still, I still struggle, yeah. but I I'm seeing changes. So, yeah. so I guess, yeah, bottom line, I don't think Jesus means, um, I know we're kind of repeating ourselves, but I don't think he means that, um, you are earning your salvation. You're earning your forgiveness by forgiving others. I think he's saying your, your forgiving of others will be an evidence that you have truly been forgiven. And uh, I would encourage this listener to read Matthew 18. It's one of my favorite parables that Jesus gives. Yeah. Um, and I think it helps. Oh, okay. Understand like when you understand the debt that you owed God and he wiped it out, it makes it easier for you to go. I can forgive other people. Yeah. When I realize the enormity of my sin against God, like sheesh. Yeah. Um, so I, I have found that uh, helpful. Yeah. Well, we should answer second question. I like it. Um, I'll read it, and I'm going to adapt it a little bit because it's kind of like uh, narrow focused on a specific. It's a really good question, it is. but it, the, the concepts are applicable in multiple different oh, ways. Well done. So um, this is from a listener in Prince George. Thanks for calling in, listener. <laughs> um, but listen to your podcast lately. Love what you guys have to say. Oh, man, we always love that. Uh, I know I'm being ridiculous. Uh, I'm planning on going to Bible school in a couple of years for ministry. And right now I'm starting to look into different schools. I was wondering if you guys could talk about what do you look for in a Bible school? Maybe talk about the schools you guys went to. Corlin hasn't yet. Uh, (laughs) Hey, I'm in school right now. now. And just the whole decision, the whole decision making process in general. My wife and I feel like it's a decision both of us should be a part of. And it Mm -hmm. kind of affects us both where I get my teaching. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, if you're in that kind of season of life where you're like, where should I go for Bible school? Yeah. Especially if you're like, I want to be involved. I I'm assuming this guy means uh, pastoral ministry, but ministry in general, yeah, ministry in general, but like, I want to be trained to do that. Where should I go? And there's hundreds of Bible schools you could pick from. Yeah. I shouldn't say hundreds. There's probably dozens in Canada, dozens of Bible schools you could pick from. How do you start? Um, maybe I'll share about where I went. Yeah. So I did two years at Trinity Western University in like a biblical studies major. Uh, the reason I went there is because uh, I had family that went there and heard it was a decent school. And after two years, I ran out of money because it's super expensive. <laughs> yeah. But then um, got into this, which what is now called the Immerse Program. Uh, it it was in its kind of like, what do they call it when they send out a video game that's not quite done yet? It's like the, a beta. A beta. It was like the beta version, the program that I was in. I was one of the first classes to go through. It was Ooh. called the Youth Leadership Training Program. But it was at Axe Seminary. And uh, that's where I did my three years of school and got my master's degree at this seminary. Um, so for me, choosing, I didn't really choose because it was like, here's this amazing program three years you get to intern at a church 
you get a master's degree, you only have to pay a third of the cost of it. I'm like, that sounds amazing. Yeah. But looking back, I'm like very grateful that it was a solid seminary. It wasn't like some crazy heretical seminary, but I didn't really, I choose it. Choose it. I choose it. (laughs) I chose it based on, I was working at a Baptist church in Maple Ridge that was solid theologically. Yeah. I was interning there and Acts seminary. I had, I had, it's a rep, reputable seminary yeah so i wasn't necessarily worried of like oh boy what did yeah. i teach but i don't know like what would you say if for some advice what do you what do you look for yeah so i there's a couple of things that i do uh like if if my budget was not a limited budget and i was able to just like choose whichever school uh one of the things that i would do and and i personally enjoy doing for like researching schools is actually listening to people teach who have been to those schools um, generally like just as a general idea to see how people operate in their ministries after having been through a school, like sure. it, yes, we have our, our individual talents and gifts that are applied in ministry. Uh, but you can tell like if, if you've been a follower of Christ for a while, uh, you can start to tell where people's theology lines up and often schools will push certain theology. And if you're exposed to that for long enough, it's hard not to start aligning with that. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of see the the fruit of the work that's being done. That's one way. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you can name scholars all, all day long for being able to look at stuff. Yeah. Uh, but that's not a super, super, it's one way. It's not the only way to figure yeah. it out. Um, one of the ways really practically that I do is I will go to the page of the school uh, mm-hmm. and go to their about and look at their statement of faith. Yep. I was just going to say that. Now I'll put it, uh, I will preface that with saying almost every single Christian organization organization has a statement of faith that will sound incredibly similar. Yeah. Uh, because let's be honest, if they are a solid Christian denomination or solid Christian background and, and, and structure, they're going to believe incredibly similar things because you know, that's the way Christianity works with the scriptures. Mm -hmm. Um, but that being said, I think within those statement of faith, there is often hints within the wording and the way they choose to word some of those things differently that can, provide some insight into how they navigate conversations around stuff. Yeah. Um, so even if you were to look at like BSSM, so Bethel school of supernatural ministry compared to say Miller Pambrin college, their statement of faith will be incredibly different, both in the world considered Christian schools. Yeah. Um, and so that's a really good place to start. Uh, the other thing that I highly suggest is talking to people who have been to those schools. Yeah, totally. Um, so we live in a, an amazing age where digitally we can do this. You don't have to like write letters to the school to try and get in contact with alumni or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you who don't know, alumni would be people who have graduated through those school programs. Yeah. Um, but what I have done in, in my personal experience was I talked with people who have been to these schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, so most of my wife's family has been through some form of Miller's uh, school of the Bible and seeing what they have experienced at Miller overwhelmingly, not entirely, but overwhelmingly was good and theologically sound. And so then you can look at that and say, okay, these are people I know and I trust they're giving good advice towards this. Uh, And you will, if you've, if you're talking to people who have lived through school, the schooling and been in contact with the faculty and all of that, you will hear what that is like. Totally. Uh, So what I would suggest is find, there might be Facebook pages that have students talking about it. Uh, Obviously if you're following a Facebook page or a Reddit subreddit or whatever, where it's literally just like, Hey, let's diss the school. Yeah. All you're going to hear is the negative. Yeah, sure. So balance it when you're looking for information like that, but yeah, listen to what other people have said about it. Um, yeah, I think the statement of faith thing is huge. I think you can probably, like, so for our church, we have a statement of faith, and then we have an actual, like, much longer statement of faith. Not in the means of, like, it's our secret statement of faith, but it's, like, here's, here's the little paragraph that's <clears throat> that's the synopsis. Yeah. And then we have a book that then goes into, like, here's all the passages. You might be able to contact a Bible school and say, hey, do you have a more detailed statement of faith? Yeah. Um, I like that you said there's certain things when any kind of organization or church, so a lot of, t- you'll be surprised how often people message me saying like, do you know of any good churches in this town or this town yeah. or this town? 
And so, uh, sometimes I do know just personally like, Oh yeah. yeah, that one's good. But other times I'll just go and Google and then look at statements of faith. And there are certain things that I'm like, what would be certain things in those statement of faiths that you look at and you're like, ah, I don't know. Like, can you think of any examples uh, yeah. off the top of your so head? So I often read really carefully their, uh, their statement of faith about the Holy spirit, because I think, um, I'm looking for things like, um, Oh, uh, the Holy spirit is given to believers and the evidence is speaking in tongues. I would go mm, biblically. I disagree. I think that's actually a really damaging theology. Um, so, uh, if I see a church kind of say that in their statement of faith that you actually don't have the gift of the spirit, if you don't speak in tongues, I would say, mm, don't go to that church. I think that's actually not true. Yeah. Sometimes they'll, uh, and it's usually under the Holy spirit or it's under, um, you know, their view of mankind or whatever. A lot, sometimes churches will say things like, you know, uh, the atonement secured our healing physically. I would go, mm, don't go to that church. Yeah. They are teaching the prosperity gospel. So there's certain phrases that you kind of look for. Those are just two examples. Um, yeah. uh, I've actually looked at churches where they're like, um, under the idea of creation of men and women. If it's a progressive church, they'll say things along the lines of, uh, being, uh, we welcome and affirm all walks of life. Affirm is a really, really it, it's uh, kind of like telling a, a word key word because we would say we welcome people from all walks of life. We yeah. do not affirm people from all walks of life, right? We yeah. we don't encourage anyone living in sin. So there was there's something I would look for, right? Yeah. So it's just kind of looking through the language that they've chosen for their statement of faith. Yeah. And then, you know, I would say there's certain Bible schools that I would just steer clear of. I mean, you mentioned Bethel supernatural Hogwarts school or whatever it's called. <laughs> Sorry. I'm gonna well, let's be in, nice. I'm going to be in so much trouble, but yeah, there, if someone said, should I go to Bethel? I would go, no, because I think that they teach a false Jesus. I think, yeah, uh, I think it's not a, it's not a good school. Um, and then, you know, even I might get in trouble for this, but even like YWAM, I have some issues with YWAM yeah. because of some of the very, very, very charismatic name it and claim it type stuff that is taught there and fire tunnels and manifestations and blah, blah, blah. Not every base, but I've heard stories yep. from yep. any of the bases from people who have gone. So if someone said, should I go to Camp and Ray? I would go, ooh, be there's Cape and Ray. Should I go to YWAM? I would go, ooh, be very, very careful. I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. So that that's where you talked about hearing from people's experiences. Yes. Um, and even seeing the fruit of the ministry from those people. Seeing the fruit of the ministry. Um, another, another good tool that I have found is get in contact with the people that are running it. Um, so like in my schooling experience, I met someone who is a part of a team leading like in, in the school ministry uh, Sid Coop, uh, some of you guys might be familiar with that name. I met him and talked to him about what my situation was. And he was like, Hey, I think this would be a good option for you. And he's a, a man who's been in ministry for years. And I've seen his minute, mm -hmm. like a, a portion of his ministry and was not like, Oh my goodness, this is heretical. So like to be able to look at someone like Sid Coop, who yeah. at least from what I can tell is a reputable leader, um, and use that level of trust and discernment. Yeah. Um, and he got me in contact directly with, uh, the the director of that program and i've had the opportunity to talk with multiple people now uh, on that journey to be able to make that decision um yeah. so yeah and i've reached out to other schools too in, in my journey to find which school i was going to and just ask like what their programs look like yep. ask if you can talk to an, an administrator or somebody who is willing to mm -hmm. to flesh out what their school mm -hmm. uh, teaches how they teach what they believe yep. those types of things if you're not super yeah yeah and i would say i for me, if I was, you know, go back 15 years and I was just starting and I had a choice to pick, I would probably go, okay, is there a school that centers around the teaching of the Bible? I think that's really important. Yeah. So, um, yeah, more than just, and I know, I know there's other th things that you learn at Bible school about ministry and about things like that. But for me, I'm like, okay, is this a Bible centered and you would hope because it's in the title Bible college, <laughs> yeah. but is it centered on okay, the word, the teaching of the word, learning what God has said to us through his word um, and not just like 
based on theories and yeah. ideas. So I think for me, that would be the biggest thing. Like, is this a gospel centered, Bible centered Bible college? Yeah. And, th- and all those things we said <clears throat> apply to like looking for a church too, I think. Yep. Read statements of faith. I Talk would go for me the, the the most important thing about a church is the preaching, but I'm biased. But like, yeah, are you going to be hearing the word of God preached, not just like hmm, sermon what, series? What should we talk about today? Um, and it's weird because I've never had to pick a church where I haven't worked at or my parents have worked at. So yeah, I've never had that. But I, as I've thought about that, what would I look for? I would probably go to a, a church's website read their statement of faith and then listen to four or five of their sermons and go, okay, is this solid like biblical teaching? Yeah. And that's, and that's a good thing to look for. I and guess. I think too, like if, if you're, if you're in looking for a church, I know we're moving a little bit past the, the school subject right now, but if you're looking for a church, yeah. I don't think that you're like, I'm going to use extreme example, but I don't think you're going to go to hell. If you go to church and you're sitting there, you're like, this is not at all what I believe and stand up and walk out. Or if you want to be polite for the sake of politeness and stay and then leave and just never return. Like, right. I don't think that you're wrong to do that. Um, so, yeah, sometimes people will give great reviews about things and then you go and you're like, oh, this is incredibly different mm-hmm. than I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And the other thing with uh, schools, lots, some n- not lots, some schools will have like vision or mission statements. Yeah, Those can true. be... Uh, good. So like Miller's, I, I, I'm a fan of Miller from uh, like a, what, what would you use the term? Not a proxy. I'm like an ambassador for Miller, even though I've never been there. <laughs> I, I went there with, with my wife uh, when we were, we weren't actually married yet, but we went to visit the campus and just visit some of her friends. Uh, and I was incredibly impressed with Miller. Yeah. Uh, but their their mission statement is to develop through sound Bible teaching, role modeling, and practical experience believers who will demonstrate Christ-like character, competence in ministry, and commitment to impacting the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Love it. It's like those are the exact things that we're talking about. brought to about. you by Miller College of the Bible. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really good. So yeah, yeah, stuff like that, it can it can give it away because if they're willing to admit those things, then even if you like, yeah, talk to other students and if they're seeing those things as well. Uh, but yeah, those would be our pieces of advice for that. And then we have another question. Oh, just wait a second. Oh, you got more? No, but I'm oh. just, uh, we're going to go to an instrumental. Oh, right. Now we're ready for the the final question. We have, according to the hour, we have what fifteen minutes left. Uh, we've been recording for thirty seven minutes. Oh, so we got time. Yeah, tons of time. So you you were asked <coughs> this. So why don't you? Yeah. It? This question was sent in, um, and and the question is they basically wanted us to talk about Christian nationalism. Okay. Uh, so they didn't ask like a, a super specific and directed question. Uh, it was more so, uh, hey, can you talk about this? Like, is it good? Is it bad? I, I don't know. Um, and so I think a good place to start with this, like if we're going to talk about it generally and cover it, uh, a good place to start would be with some definitions or at least talking about what Christian nationalism is. Sure. Uh, so go ahead and give that a shot if you have a definition. <laughs> Do you have like an actual definition? I was looking for one and like to actually find a definition like that, that Google will even put forward, yeah. for example, of like this is what it well, is. Well, there's many, there's many versions of the same idea. Yep. Yep. So whether you call it Christian nationalism, where you call, whether you call it dominionism, kingdom theology, the charismatic... Would Christendom fall under that? Nope. No? Okay. I don't think so. Um, whether you call it um, the charismatics, uh, kind of like the new apostolic reformation and all those like okay. very, very bizarre churches, call it the seven mountain mandate. It's all essentially the same idea. So my Are they a fandom mandates though? <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I maybe shouldn't say that. So I think it's this idea of part of the advancement of the kingdom of God is that we Christianize cities or countries. So I'll give you an example and whatever I might get in trouble, but like, so Doug Wilson is very, very, very popular. 
Yeah. And his church is in Idaho, in Moscow, Idaho. And their mission statement is, under the grace of God, we desire to make Moscow a Christian town. Through, and then they go through faithful preaching, proclamation of the gospel, evangelism, blah, 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 blah. But that's their mission. Not, again, uh, we can argue, but not what Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe. Yeah. Which you could argue, well, that is what we're doing. Yeah. But it's this idea of like, we want to Christianize this, this city. So if I, which I don't believe in, so I'll put my cards on the table. I don't think that's what Jesus has called us to, to, but if, if our church say believed in, uh, dominionism, kingdom theology, whatever, then our mission statement, our mission statement right now is we exist to glorify God and make disciples of Jesus. But if I believed in Christian nationalism, then it would be like our, our desire uh, we exist to make Fort St. John a Christian city. Yeah. Um, so I, maybe I'm not like, I'm not giving a Google definition, but I've always understood these kinds of worldviews as like, we're advancing the kingdom of God and we're winning. If Canada just kind of cleans up its act morally and we pass laws, Christian laws based on the Bible and we elect Christian leaders and we have a Christian prime minister and it's almost this idea of like from the top down, look, we're a Christian nation. Yeah. Right. Look, we're, and, and really you're fooling yourself. What you should say is, look, we're a good, clean, moral nation. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't equal Christian in my books. Like, but that's why lots of people will talk about like, man, Canada used to be a Christian nation. Yeah. And what they actually mean is, man, Canada used to have morals, which I agree with yeah. Canada back in the day. Like, uh, many people waited to be married, to have sex. Yeah. There was not, you, you know, so yeah, yep. you can look back 60 years ago and go morally, not, according to like Christian morals. Yeah. Canada was way more moral back in the day. Yeah. But it's, I think it's actually, um, a false idea to go th- that people living moral lives equals Christian nation because, Canada was not, has never been a Christian nation. Yeah. Um, people lived good, clean, moral lives and still died and went to hell. Like, so you can tell that where my cards are. Yeah. I, th- I think Christian nationalism, I don't think it's like evil. Yeah. I think it's just a distraction f- from the, the great commission that Jesus gave us. Yeah. And then you go like, so then is the borders of the kingdom of God, Canada? Is it the U S like, yeah. I don't know. I want to hear some of your thoughts. I so uh, first of all, I, this reminds me. I saw on uh, C what is it? C H C H News. I have no idea which news outlet that is, but they were dealing with statistics in Canada, uh, and the Christian population went from seventy seven point one percent in two thousand one to fifty three point three percent in twenty twenty one, and and so I think like some of us can be like, oh no, that's a massive drop. But I think of of even in all of scripture, how much it talks about the remnant, the the faithful people of Yahweh totally. who remain in his covenant, who remain in his love, even throughout national disputes and all of these things. And there's always people that are talked about as, you know, you're not sure if they're a follower, they're a part of your your community, they're a part of your nation, but they might fall away. So I think as Christians, we can feel like, really scared when those kinds of Mm -hmm. numbers come out because we're like, well, it was going so well. And it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, but like, just take a moment to breathe and think about that. If that percentage in those 20 years dropped off, were they actual followers of Christ or were they just coming to church on, on Sundays because it's what they've always done? Man, I've met so many people that are like, when they hear that you're, I'll even give you an example, like my neighbors, um, they, when we moved, they, it was kind of like, um, yeah, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor of the Envy Church. So they know I, I'm yep. a, a Christian and it was kind of like, oh yeah, we are too. And then it's like, you know, but, and again, it's, it fits about, you know, evidences yeah. you know, on the back of their truck. It says F Trudeau. Yeah. And they say like, we don't go to church. We, yeah. ne- we haven't been to church in 10 years. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm a Christian too. Sign me up. Because yeah. I think in the past, Christian equaled moral person yeah and so they would do census uh 
do census data in Canada and back they don't they don't actually ask anymore on the census anymore what religion you are. Okay. Um is not the last census that I took part in they didn't, but they used to collect that information and so they would go, "What are you? Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, blah 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 blah." Other yeah. And usually people are like well, I went to church on Easter, so I guess I'm a Christian. Boop. Check, Christian. And they go, oh, look, 90% of Canadians are Christians. It's like, but that's so misleading. Yeah, so I, it is, if you haven't looked into how to like properly understand statistics, like like under studies like that, that's not a, a jab at anyone. That's just no. genuinely, you should look into that because statistics, if you misread them, can be incredibly misleading. Totally. Um. Yeah. Uh, or, or to misunderstand them can cause all yeah. sorts of different ideas. Yeah. I think the other thought that I want to put out there with, uh, in terms of Christian nationalism or, or, you know, the other extremes, I think we, we live in an age where we love to sit in one camp or the other. And we think that if you're at all in one camp, then you're 100%, uh, like, completely in mm -hmm. that side and you don't have any opposing views mm -hmm. and that's just not true mm -hmm. um so an example that i'll give is i was just actually listening <clears throat> excuse me before we came here uh doug wilson and i can't remember the name of the other guy stephen burdick no nope. <laughs> that would probably be that a cold day in mind. hell before that, that happens happen. yeah uh but they they were releasing books on uh one of the guy released a book on christian nationalism uh and just in the snippet um, and so I, I'm willing if I have misheard this and I didn't get to listen to the entirety of it. So I will put that forward before, Sure. but on a initial starting to listen, what I heard from them is that we as Christians, if we're following Christ are a threat to the rest of the world. Like he specifically used the word threat to like their mm -hmm. systems. Um, and I think language like that for me personally is something that I'm like, you know, if we're, if we view ourselves as a threat is that the most effective way? Not necessarily saying absolutely not. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I mean, Jesus taught against what the religious leaders of the day believed yep. um, and they killed him for it. Cause he was a threat. People were following him. So I like, mm -hmm. I can see where they're coming from, but I think we deal with extremes. Um, and so when it comes to Christian nationalism, the idea of becoming a Christian nation, I think the first place my mind goes is like, okay, so at what, like at what point do we say that it's Christian enough of a nation? Like if all of our laws are surrounded, like surrounding us, um, that, that get us to live Christian moral lives, according to what scripture teaches, this might be controversial, but I would actually argue that if we actually had that, even the Christians that want it would probably end up hating it because it wouldn't leave room for them to sin even on worldly scale. Now, I'm not saying that to say that as Christians um, that we should love our sin or that we should be allowed to keep sinning and, and all, all of those things. But like I think about this, we, we often talk about like the big issues like, you know, abortion and not murdering babies mm -hmm. in the womb. And we talk about murder in general and all these things. Mm -hmm. But at what point do we say, OK, it's Christian enough under our own judgment then, because it's not what God has prescribed until he returns. Mm hmm. So at what point do we stop? Do we say, okay, let's make laws against pride. And I don't mean LGBTQ. I mean like your actual pride that you have over how good you think you are. Mm. Can we make laws about that? Is there a way to do that? Because it would be yeah. the Christian thing to do to be like, hey, you're a brother in Christ. Yeah. You are a part of this Christian nation. You're showing pride straight yeah. to jail. It's like, okay, like how does that work? Yeah. I, I think when we start talking about that kind of idea – Sure, the idea of having a nation with Christian morals, I would agree. I think that sounds good. Yeah, totally. Right? Because we, God's design for living life yeah. is better than anything we can come up with. Yeah. I'm not disagreeing with that. Yeah. But I think um, if, if your view is that let's just be a Christian nation and that's as far as that view goes, I would say that it's a... a uh, juvenile idea in the sense that it would have to be fleshed out more before you can just say, let's do that. Mm -hmm. Because if you and your own humanity, or if I and my own humanity think that my one idea on how to fix the world will fix the world. Well, I'm incredibly blind because I haven't thought of all the ways that my own sinful tendencies will twist that idea mm -hmm. 
so that I think it's good and not necessarily what God thinks is good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it, yeah, basically Jordan Peterson talks about this. I can't remember which interview it was in, but it was, uh, basically the idea that no one idea is going to fix a plethora of problems hmm. because that's assuming that that idea would be perfect. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of Christ ruling and God reigning supreme, yeah, that is a perfect idea. I'm not disputing that. Yeah. But for us humans to enact that as we still live in sin yeah. here on earth, I, I think it's futile yeah. because we're, we're not able to do that. We can't even do that governing well in our churches for the most part, let alone our families. Let, like yeah. maybe yeah. we should start there. And yeah. have that then be the, the threat, if you want to say, to the rest of the world, right? Like, yeah. what if we actually lived on mission for Christ, loving people? And I think that that's maybe where Christian nationalism actually is stronger than some others, is that, you know, th- if you hold that viewpoint, then yeah, that is part of your job, is to go out and preach the gospel yeah. and make sure people know the truth and stand firm. I would argue yeah. that that's maybe a strong point um, of that view. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas other places can become can become complacent of like, well, I don't know, I don't want to affect their their way of life. It's like, no, as Christians, we we should want to tell them about Christ. We yeah. should want them to be able to live in in this eternal life that Christ is offering. Yeah, yeah I got lots of thoughts. Um, <laughs> this is a a good topic, and it's one that comes up lots. Like there's this balance, right? Like we're, what we're not saying is that like, Oh, Christians, you don't have to care about anything that's going on in the world. Cause we're not, mm. you know, no, yeah. of course not. Like I, I vote a certain way based on my Christian principles. I totally yep. do. I heard one guy say, who should you vote for? You should vote for the person who's going to make it easiest to fulfill the great commission. Yeah. I'm like, yep. yep. I totally agree. Yeah. So if someone came in and said, my platform is to make Christianity illegal, of course I'm not going to vote for them. Yeah. Right? I would go, no, I don't want that to happen. Right? Yeah. So what we're not saying is that, oh, Christians just disengage from everything in our culture because it doesn't matter. No, of course not. You should. We should be on mission for you the should, kingdom. But but even more than that, like you should – like. Uh, I, I strongly oppose the SOGI curriculum. Yeah. In my, I don't want my kids indoctrinated with gender ideology. And I go every year to the school and I make it known. I oppose this. My kids will not be. So I don't just go, well, yep. I'll just trust that Jesus will protect them. Like, yes, I do trust that. But I also go and I make my voice heard and the teachers know, okay, we're going to. So you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think there's this balance. But I, I would never say, yes, we got Soji curriculum banned from the schools. That's a that's a spiritual win for Jesus kingdom. I would go, no, like okay, I would celebrate if it happened. Yep. Praise God. Yep. Um it's the same with I, I think the abortion debate is interesting. Like I think it's murder. Um uh, and so we as Christians should be opposed to it. Yep, absolutely. And we should be the first ones saying like we are willing to adopt you. Please don't kill your baby. We will adopt it. Yeah. We will walk alongside you. And if we had chances and Canada's weird because there actually is no abortion laws, but if there was a chance to like vote on, absolutely we should vote to make abortion illegal. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. But I think what Christian nationalism or dominionism or whatever you want to call it, um, I think it's a misguided, like upside down way of trying to view how we win like revelation tells us how we win we win by the blood of the lamb the word of our testimony and not loving our lives so much that we're not willing to die yeah that's how do we conquer that's how we conquer yeah by saying i am willing to spill my blood for jesus uh the word of our testimony so the gospel yeah and jesus that's how we win we don't win by like yes we elected trump or whatever right yeah now, I've talked with Molly about that. She's American. She's like, I would have voted for Trump. I'm like, okay, great. You, yeah. You should have if you lived there. Like, I'm not saying, like, I, because I feel like sometimes when people hear pushback against Christian nationalism, it's like, oh, so you're saying we're never involved in anything? No, 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 no. no, no. no. So I'll give you another example. Um, recently at the Lido, no, I shouldn't say recently. This is like five or six years ago. Uh, at the Lido Theater, they had the drag show, Crazy B words. 
I'm not going to say it, but that was the on the, the yeah. marquee, right? On yeah. the, the banner. And the ministerial, uh, at our ministerial meeting, it came up and they said, we should be writing letters and picketing for them to take down that swear word on their sign. And I was like one of the only pastors who was like, no, I'm not putting my name on that. Why? Do I agree that like profanity is great? No. I'm like, but what the Lido Theater, it's not a church. It's not a Christian it's organization. It's not a Christian organization. So what is it going to accomplish if the churches in town write a letter saying, you're going to hell because you wrote a bad word on your, it's going to accomplish nothing. Yeah. So I'm like, for me, but it's this idea of like, our culture is evil. We have to Christianize it. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't think that's what we're called to. We're called to like, you know, oppose darkness. Yeah. And if Seek anyone, justice and, and mercy. I mean, we and... preach ab- against things that our culture does that are yep. wicked and evil. Uh, totally. But I think it's this this upside down approach. If we can just elect the right people and put it the right laws in place, then we win. And it's like, no. But do you know how a city changes? Is the gospels preached and yeah. men and women give their lives to Jesus. And that I don't doubt that radically changes a city. As more and more people come to know Jesus, it will affect things. Yeah. But it's like we're trying to do it from the top down rather than the I, bottom up. You get I, what I mean? Yeah. I think <clears throat> uh, the couple of thoughts that are coming to mind is uh, the first thing that came to mind was if you um, catch your neighbor stealing from you and you're able to successfully convince them to never steal again. Awesome. Are they going to heaven? No. Because if not, if all that you have done is teach them not to steal and they successfully do that for the rest of their life, not mm-hmm. steal does that actually affect their eternal salvation? Not one bit. Yeah. yeah. So and, that's that's dangerous yeah. to think like if we can put in laws in place and teach people to be good, then we'll be a Christian nation. Ah, no. No, yeah. right? We need our hearts changed. Yes. And the other thing yes. is uh, when Pilate was questioning Jesus about yes. being the king of the Jews, Jesus straight up says, my kingdom is not of this world. Yeah, and I joked with you, like, I don't like the word because it's been so tainted, but, like, the kingdom of God is transnational. Yeah. <laughs> Meaning it doesn't have borders. Yeah. So the goal is not like, okay, within the borders of Canada, yay, we're a Christian nation. It's like, no, the kingdom of God is global. Yeah. It's what is revelation. It's every tribe, nation, tongue, language. Yeah. So that's the goal, right? That men and women, boys and girls from every nation, every tribe, every tongue come to know Jesus, right? And yeah. surrender to him. The other thing I was thinking about before you jump in, um, uh, some of the outworkings of Christian nationalism. I, I like literally had a conversation with someone who said, can we, do you know, can, can we get a list of Christian businesses in town? Cause we only want to support those ones. Hmm. So it, it reminded me of first Corinthians five, where Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter, not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all, meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But so it's that idea of like, you know, we're not going to associate with anyone who aren't Christians. And it's like, Paul says, actually that's sin. Like you should have homosexuals over for dinner to tell them about, but he says, but I'm talking about the sexually immoral in the church. Don't associate with them, but we've actually done it backwards. Right. We will associate with sexually immoral people and we won't call them out on anything in the church. Yeah. But then our gay neighbors were like, kids, stay away from them because they're evil. They're Paul, dangerous. Paul says, you have it backwards. Yeah. Have them in your house for dinner. Yeah. How else are, gonna, are they going to hear about Jesus? So I think that's why Christian nationalism or whatever you want to call it is so dangerous because then it it's like this idea of like our culture is evil and we cannot associate with it, which... I understand. Yeah. But Paul says like, go find a different planet then. Cause like, <laughs> like it's yeah. impossible. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, I think too. And, and I'd be willing to have conversation. Like, I mean, if Doug Wilson wanted to have a conversation, I'd I think he's a listener. About it. He, he might be, I don't know. The internet's a wild place, <laughs> but Doug, if you happen to randomly come across this, I would have a conversation with you. Cause I, I would want to like, 
like genuinely speaking, I want to understand what people's points of view are more than just the titles that we give them. Sure. Because oftentimes, like I said, we deal with extremes, which means then that if you actually take the time to sit and talk to someone, you might find out you have more common ground yeah. than you think. So I, I will say that, you know, if if your view with not speaking to Doug right now, Doug, you can shut it off now if, <laughs> you, if you want. But uh, speaking to anyone listening, if your view of Christian nationalism is that you want laws in place that that help us live well, I'm not opposed to those things totally. either. Like you said, if uh, the chance came to vote on abortion, absolutely, I would vote against it and, and say, like, totally. we should not be killing fetuses, right? Yeah. Uh, so on and so forth. I would absolutely vote for those things because if we get the opportunity, I think Christians should stand firm on yeah. those. Um, but if if your view of those laws, if they come into place, would be that they would make us a good nation, I would I would say that maybe um, consider the fact that Israel was God's chosen people. And an entire generation didn't make it into the promised land because they were sinners still. Mm. Right. Yeah, And they were a theonomy, <clears throat> which yeah. I've heard. That's just the idea of like, you know, God's our leader uh, or a theocracy or whatever yeah. you want to call it. And a lot of times Christian nationalism, Christian nationalism is kind of like that. Like God's yeah. the leader of the kingdom. And I'm like, that's great. Amen. But that's and, and the other thing, too. Sorry, I'm, I'm talking a lot, but uh, this has been tried countless times throughout history do you know every time the church goes off the rails into immorality and corruption and wickedness when they're in positions of power yeah read church history every time the church is corrupt and morally bankrupt and there's perversion and wickedness it's when they're in power yeah. and yet it's like every time we don't learn our lesson and we go well we're gonna do it right this time yeah Right? We learned our lesson. The church, if you read church history, the church thrives, like explodes. Under persecution. Yeah, when they're pushed to the margins of society, when people say, man, Christians are a pest, we got to get rid of them. Boom, it like blows the door wide open. Yeah. So it just always fascinates me. It's like, it's like in every generation, there's a new generation of people who go, it's like they haven't read church history. Like we've tried this time and time and time again yeah. it's like yeah. hey you know what's a good idea we should like christianize a country and make it you know legal to be a christian and and, da -da -da -da, and we'll moralize everybody and then it just always goes terribly wrong like even yeah. in 351 i think is when um constantine became a christian and before that it was a illegal to be a christian yeah and then constantine becomes a christian and we go okay praise god but like from then on the church just got really corrupt. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So that's another thing to go like it, it has never worked out well. The idea of like, we're just going to Christianize everybody. It was like, we're going to force Christianity on everybody. It always goes bad. Always. Yeah. Because we're sinful. Right. Yeah. And so the kingdom of God works best when it's like, we are actually like, uh, we have the boot on us. Right. So to speak, like that's yeah. when, that's when yeah. we're going to kill, we're going to burn Christians and feed them to lions. Why are there so many more Christians? Yeah. Or like in China, it is now illegal to be a Christian. And then they go back 10 years later and there's like 5 million Christians. Like, man, we can't get rid of these guys. Yeah. Right. So it always goes worse when the church gets into positions of like extreme power. Yeah. It just corrupts you. Yeah. So yeah. Anyways. That's yeah. You can tell I I like this topic. That's <laughs> well, a good one to discuss because like, the kingdom of God is talked about as something that is coming and something that we are furthering. But I think that our yeah. our humanity and our understanding can get in the way both sides of the equation totally. though. Totally. Um. So yeah, no, I think it's good. We should want to make disciples of all nations and of I'll all people. I'll use one last example. Go for that it. That maybe helps. Like, uh, and this is recent. Like the Freedom Convoy. Yep. Uh, Christians ask me like, should Christians be involved with that? I'm like, yeah, go for it. Yeah. But I heard many Christians being like, this is revival in Canada. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's not revival. Uh, now again, I didn't go to Ottawa. Did people surrender to Jesus? Well, maybe very possible. Yep. But to say that like a protest against our freedoms being taken away and people rallying to that, that's that's spiritual revival. I'm like, yeah. that's where you're crossing your wires here. Now, 
if you want to go and be a part of that, like God bless you. I think, yeah. I think it's great. We had people who are connected to this church that went and I wasn't like, it's wrong for you to go. I'm like, go for it. Yeah. But there's the line where it's kind of like, you know, yes, we're fighting for freedom. And I, I heard people quote, you know, you know, those, uh, uh, when Jesus says, if, uh, you are free indeed, um, whatever that verse, man, I'm a bad pastor. <laughs> I'm just going to let you sit in this one. <laughs> you know it, don't you? <laughs> no. Um, but like quoting about the idea of like, you know, civil freedoms, connecting that to like Our Bible, freedom from Bible sin and death about freedom in Christ. I'm like, oh man, I think you're, you're crossing lines here. Yeah. That, so I think on one hand, what we're not saying is don't ever be involved in anything. No, go do it. Yeah. Like make your voice heard. Amen. Yeah. But don't confuse it with like, you know, the picture of the Red Sea parting and the truck driving through. I'm like, no, it, no, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think, uh, I don't know why this ex- example is coming to mind. So maybe, maybe we're running out of time. I don't know. We're, I, we're I think it'd be interesting. Dangerous territory where we're starting to ramble. <laughs> yeah. I think it's an interesting idea. Like even with Paul talking about eating meat that's sacrificed to idols and hear me out. I know that might sound like a jump. But in their culture, that was something that was like talked about within the church of like, is that wrong to do? Should we be doing that? We can't do that, blah, blah, blah. Right. And Paul's like, just eat the meat. It's meat sacrificed to worthless items mm-hmm. that have been carved. Who cares? Now, don't worship those idols, but like you follow Christ. Mm-hmm. Like, and even Jesus says that when, when Peter and John in John chapter 21 are like, Jesus tells Peter how he's going to die in, in essence. And Peter looks at John and is like, well, what about him? And, and he's like, Jesus, I'm, I'm paraphrasing loosely, but Jesus says, no, you follow me. Yeah. What's it to you? Right. And I, I think that part of following Jesus, yes, is absolutely uh, the great commission is to go and make disciples of all nations. But I think that there is elements too, where we live in a very broken and fallen world. And until Christ returns, we have absolutely no power to change that. Hmm. Not on a spiritual level, which would be what actually brings change. Mm-hmm. It's only Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit that can do that. So we should be praying for our Christian neighbors and we should be, you know, serving them as Christ loved the church. Right. I, I think that is more of a threat to the rest of the world and how it operates than actually going in and changing government and then trying to make people Christians. I think loving people is so against what culture is teaching these days. Like actually loving people is so against what culture teaches these days that, yeah, then it becomes a threat because it would change. It does change people. Hmm. Yeah. I think that's a good, let's stop. It's been an hour and we'll ramble otherwise, but hopefully that's, at least interesting or helpful um all three of these questions we like talking about stuff so that's good it was interesting for me and uh if you do have questions please uh text us or message us we love answering questions and hoping that this is helpful and entertaining at least and uh this has been episode 93 and we will talk to you next week